Welcome back to the Urban Foundry Podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Urban Foundry. Foundry. Season two, brought to you by Hope Plumbing. Welcome back to Urban Foundry, your host and source of commercial real estate news. I'm here with Paige O'Neill. Hi. Paige, we are on the road today. Interesting. We are in Chicago. At the All Steel Customer Experience Center in the heart of Fulton Market in the second city. And we're here with Aaron Coop. Aaron, welcome to the Urban Foundry podcast. Thank you. So happy to be here with you. Yeah. And thanks for helping us arrange this wonderful experience. It was a huge hookup. Usually our guests are pretty helpless. So thank you for <laughs> you are, stepping yeah. up, being proactive. You've gotten hey. us on the road for the first time. Always happy to help and share my connections. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, tell us, Aaron, tell our audience a little bit about you, your background, and what you do today. Yeah, loaded question. There's so much there. Um, You know, what I'll start with is the background. Um, So like you guys, I actually spent several years in the commercial real estate industry. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I guess going back as far as, you know, put myself through college in St. Louis, Missouri. I went to to St. Louis University, uh, graduated with a business degree in management information systems, which back in those days. I remember MIS degrees. (laughs) Right. Do they still have those? They're not called that anymore. Um, but it, it landed me in technology. So found myself working at um, Thomson Reuters before yeah. it was Thomson Reuters. It was just Reuters supporting financial financial software on, on Wall Street and moved to New York City with them, which was a dream of mine. So really a dream come true for a young woman. Um to live alone in New York City. Mm-hmm. Right. Coming from St. Louis. Uh, coming from, from St. The Midwest, Louis. Big city dreams, yes. right? Yeah, take New the girl York, out of the New Midwest, York, not right? the Midwest out of the girl, for Alicia sure. Alicia Keys was playing when you like landed. Oh, yeah, yeah oh, yeah, sure. and Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, but, you know, sharing that with you because it was really, obviously, the start of my professional life. And a couple of years into working at Reuters, I was asked to move over to the Goldman Sachs account from, from a couple other accounts I worked on. And that was really a pivotal moment because I said, sure, if you want to pay me more money, because no one really wanted to work on that account at the time. So they paid me a little bit more money, did that. And within six months, Goldman had asked me to work for them. Mm -hmm. So a big part of my 20s was at Goldman Sachs. And if you remember, in the days of office life, 14 hours a day behind computer screens and FaceTime was not an app on your phone. It meant you're in the office until your boss leaves, Mm -hmm. right? So that was the life that I lived for several years in some pretty hardcore finance roles on the trading floor in asset management and then moved to Chicago in 2009 and did private wealth for them. Ultimately realized, gosh, finance found me. I didn't find it. It was not rewarding or fulfilling. And I, while I had those golden handcuffs for a while, I broke free of those shackles and just realized this is not the life that I want to live. I don't want to be someone who, you know, eventually marries my, the love of my life that I moved to Chicago with and then never really can have a family or do the things I want to do in life. Mm -hmm. So resigned from that, went into commercial real estate first by way of architecture and then into brokerage and really built a great business while I was at CBRE. But the reason we're here today and the person I've become is really because of a a personal journey that I went on in those years that I was in commercial real estate. It wasn't because of that. It was really because of some catalyst moments in my own life where I had become a mom. So my kids are now eight and nine. I have two little boys. But as I was becoming a mom 
and especially having two kids close together and commuting 10 hours a week and working 50 to 60 hours a week, I realized, gosh, there's a lot that I actually feel quite resentful about in my life. And I started to question where it was coming from, right? Like looking in the mirror, why I was feeling that way. Mm -hmm. And whereas I used to be someone that was so type A and so controlling, it could just point fingers and blame 15 people or things in my life for feeling that way. This was a shift. I started to look deeper and to realize, you know what, this is in me and I've got some work to do if I want to be a better mom, a better partner, a better leader and get where I want to go in life, not just from achievement, but Mm -hmm. from actually how do I feel every day? So I share that with you because what I now do is literally helping people do the same thing and transform their own mindsets, their own ways of leading, their own ways of showing up Mm -hmm. so that they can be more whole, more human and more fulfilled ultimately more authentic love that there's a lot to jump into there is a lot to jump into you know i'm i'm not gonna go with any softballs here <laughs> i don't right. do softball okay good. good so so <laughs> i feel like in this story arc you just outlined which is a wonderful story by the way and thank you for sharing there's maybe three key inflection points right so first one move to new york big city dreams right mm-hmm. and then you land a job Thompson Reuters, which is a big name, and then Goldman Sachs, and you're like, holy cow, right? Girl from St. Louis, moves to the big city, is working at Goldman Sachs. Wow, right? And it's like, on paper, that's impressive. Was your dad so proud? He was not alive. Oh, He died when I was in college. Yeah. No, all good. Big part of my story, though. Yeah, that's probably another inflection point. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was sick my whole life. So it was uh, definitely a big part of my story. Yeah. And then, obviously, the move to Chicago. Yep. Kind of a reset. But you're still in finance, but on the retail, wealth management, private banking side. Yeah. Slightly different client, different mix, different city, different pace, probably. Right? Mm -hmm. But then you decide to go into commercial real estate. Okay. Walk us through those inflection points a little bit mm-hmm. and what kind of directed you to kind of have your aha moment, yeah. right? Because I feel like a lot of people are caught into the resume achievement and they assume that, okay, this is the standard of success in life, but they don't feel fulfilled, maybe like you yeah. did. Right. So how did you get there to realize like, hey, I'm filling up my cup with stuff that does not matter to me? Yeah. Oh, this is, this is so deep and I love this. So those inflection points, I think you point them out um, in a very wise way because moving to New York was one thing, but finding myself on a trading floor of 700 people, 650 of which were men, and the women around me were (laughs) more masculine than anything. And and I mean, one thing, I don't mean to interject here. Yeah. You know a little bit about my background, you know, and obviously, you know, the other thing that I want to emphasize to some of our listeners under the age of like 30 is that there was no such thing as diversity and inclusion initiatives at the time. No, There was no mandates. There was no corporate programs. The culture was what the culture was Mm -hmm. in a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's not to say that everyone has it easy today because that's not what I'm saying. But I'll say there was a very different thought process and understanding because the rules of the road were very different, so even 15, 20 years ago. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, and being in that environment, too, as someone who, like I just shared, I mean, my, my father was ill my whole life. So my mom, who was not college educated, work all, worked all these jobs to raise our family. So I, I really came from nothing. And then all of a sudden, I'm around people who are, you know, like just legacy Ivy Leaguers and people who are just 
way different than entitled. me. Entitled. And I, and I definitely felt a lot of pressure to perform at a level of what I thought was expected of me. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, I mean, I, I'm very grateful and fortunate that I am very smart and I can apply myself and I do have a great work ethic and all of those things. So it worked out in my favor. But the pressure of all of that was intense. And a real, I would say, catalyst for the move to Chicago was the downturn in the economy. Mm-hmm. Like right. the, the yeah, great you didn't recession. Know nine, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Exactly. And I mean I'll never forget my um, husband was then my boyfriend. We'd been dating for a couple of years. We met when I was in New York for about three and a half years on my own. And he had moved into my place after about a year of dating. And I mean, it was $3,000 a month. This is an 0708, right? Yeah. $3,000 a month for not even 500 square feet. So it was insane. So right. when the economy is tanking, I'm, I'm looking at him going, you know, what, what are, are we, we doing, doing with our money? Right. <laughs> like, this is crazy at this point. Right. And we already found each other. So being single in New York is one thing. But, like, you're you're now with a person you believe you're going to marry. Yeah. In 500 square feet. In 500 square feet. <laughs> I right. like you, but not that much. Exactly. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I also absolutely could not tolerate the job I was in at Goldman at the time. Right. I'd moved into asset management Literally on September 15th of 08, which I call D-Day, mm-hmm. it was the Monday after Lehman yeah. went under on that Sunday. Oh, yeah. So it was just a very, a very hard environment. A team of 30 was 15 people in no time. Of course, that meant we all picked up that work. So mm-hmm. moving to Chicago really came because of that catalyst moment. And Chicago is just so much more doable. You know, it's just your money goes way further. Plus, I was from the Midwest. So that Mm -hmm. made sense. Mm -hmm. And then moving here, you know, Goldman got us here. My husband was actually in commercial real estate at the time. He was doing investment sales at a small firm in New York. And I mean, they were going to close their doors because they didn't have any business. Right. And so that all, it really just happened the way that it was supposed to. And we leaned into this is opportunity. Yeah. This isn't, there's no victimhood here. It's not poor us. I could transfer with Goldman. I did not want to be there anymore, but I said, I'll get us on our feet. Right. And then you got time to find a new gig, which was hard right. in that, yeah. in that oh, economy. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. But, you know, took that with grace and ease. And, and then we, you know, moved on from there. Commercial real estate came by way of my husband being in the industry. Okay. So you had a, you knew a little bit. I knew a little bit about it. I was absolutely not interested in brokerage at Mm. all. Like, still a boys' club. Right. And I was, I had (laughs) no no interest in it at that point. But what was interesting is he made a few connections for me to some tenant rep brokers. And when I sat down with them with my resume, right, Mm -hmm. put my resume in front of them, you know, back when we used to do that and got to know them a little bit. And they're all, you know, senior brokers. And they're like, why do you want to go into architecture? Because I just kept saying, I want to go into architecture. I hear architects are really bad at business. I'm really good at business. Mm -hmm. I'm a people person. I can talk to people about anything. So help, you know, help me find a role where I can help architects grow their company. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, you should come work with us and help us grow our business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you're smart. Light went off. You're you're smart. You have a great background. I mean, and I would have probably tried to turn you 
the same way and be like, hey, come work for me. Yeah, right? totally. Me. You have a great background. You can do numbers. You can work under pressure. Right. You have this great background that sounds impressive, especially in the Midwest, right? Yeah. And yeah. You're like, hey, we'll go into these Fortune 500 companies and clean up. Let's totally, go. Right? Totally. Yeah. Um, and it was actually really funny because, you know, I just kind of kept saying, thank you, but no thank right. you. Uh, my husband was on the agency leasing side at that point. So, you know, different than tenant rep, but I knew enough about it to where I was like, I'm just not interested in that right now. Also coming from a place like Goldman, having that stability of a really solid income, going to the commission side just seemed like too far-fetched for me. Sure. That said, I, I spent about four and a half years in architecture. I loved that job. Mm -hmm. I mean, I worked for a pretty big firm in Chicago and helped grow their interiors practice. I was person number two in the corporate interiors practice. And then within three years, we had a team of 40. Nice. So, you know, in that business, yeah. you don't hire people unless you have yeah, money to pay them. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it was also a lot of pressure because I really felt like I was feeding people, mm -hmm. you know, and if I wasn't out oh, there yeah. pounding the pavement, then mm -hmm. how are these people getting fed? Yeah. But it was also such a blast because what it was for me is I finally had autonomy to work the way that I worked best, not being forced to just be somewhere and half the time act like I'm being productive because I get my work done in eight hours. Right. Maybe it takes someone 12. Right. Didn't take me 12, but I had to be there 14 anyways, you know? So all of a sudden the architecture firm, I'm like, geez, I'm just doing things that I know how to do that I like doing and I'm doing it how I like to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was successful because of that. And then CBRE was kind of knocking on my door for a few years. There were a couple of teams there that were always like, hey, you should work with us. Again, I said, thanks, but no thanks. And then the practice leader within Chicago mm -hmm. really got to know me. And we were around the same age. We both had young kids. Yeah. And I eventually, you know, after my second child, I took a little time off and thought, if I'm ever going to try this, yeah. mm -hmm. now's the time. Right. So that's why I eventually said yes and went over there at 36 years old which was also very unique, right? Yeah, that is very unique. Very unique. Yeah. I started brokerage later in life as well, too. Yeah. yeah. And like people don't really do that. You're either joining usually when you're pretty young and you're a part of a big team. Or if you are more senior, you're coming over from another firm mm -hmm. with your book of business. So I was hired to build my own book and to, to do it my way, which was a little challenging. All right. And this is a little bit in the weeds, but some of our listeners will get this. Your husband's on the agency, meaning the landlord rep side. Yeah. You're on the tenant rep side. You ever do a deal with your husband? You know, I did one deal with him. And yeah. never again. <laughs> it wasn't, you know what? I never really had the opportunity, which was, oh, there which you go. was that's a happens. great answer. That doesn't surprise yeah. me, right? Yeah. But I mean, I just, I was curious. Totally. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I've always thought about that. Yeah. I know the first thing I said to the client when I was like, you know, there is a great space. I have to disclose something. Yeah. This is what my husband's building. I sleep yeah. in the same bed as the gentleman <laughs> right. that's showing yeah. it on behalf of the opposing side. Right. right. Meanwhile, I'm like, trust me, the commission that we would both earn on this right. is like chump change. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No one's yeah. not going to talk to each other over this deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're in that. You're growing that. I mean, and brokerage offers a ton of autonomy. Right. It's kind of. Uh, I'll, I'll say it is very polar opposite than investment banking. Yeah. Right. The hierarchy, the structure, it's loose yeah. at best. Mm -hmm. Right. You really don't have a boss. I mean, you're accountable to others and a team, but to some extent, what's the consequence? You yeah. know, your consequence is your paycheck. Right. So if that's not motivating you, then what's, what's a boss going to do right mm -hmm. at the end of the day? So, so you're more autonomous and you're kind of in the middle of this journey, right? Yeah. You're coming up to your next inflection point. When did it hit you? 
When did you realize, like, shoot, I've gotten the formula wrong? About a year into that brokerage role. Mm -hmm. So I would say right around like mid 2017, I had this feeling that was just different than anything I'd ever felt. You know, prior to that, when I wanted a different job or when I wanted to do something different or in a different way, it came more from a place of my mind, Mm -hmm. from my ego. I know I can do this and I can do that. So I'm going to go there, you know, and it was a lot of things I was asked to do. People were always trying to recruit me. I was just used to that. And so eventually, like I would end up saying yes, if the money was right and the title was right, Mm -hmm. Mm because I was taught by society like all of us were. That's what you're aiming for. Just check off the boxes, right? Just keep getting more. And, you know, you can just keep going and just keep doing that. But there was something unique about this feeling where it was almost like my heart and my mind were battling all of a sudden. But I was listening to my heart Mm -hmm. before then. I think, you know, of course, I had a heart and was, you know, open to listening. You're not the Grinch. Right. (laughs) But it was it was like I it was like I would almost just quiet that voice within myself and just ignore it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm just not ignoring it anymore. And it's speaking through me. And I said to my husband one night, I'm like, why do we do this to ourselves? And and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, what does all of this mean? Mm -hmm. Like, we have all this stuff on paper. You know, we have the house and we've got the spouse and we've got the kids and the cars and the two vacations a year and the jobs and all of that. Like, why? Like, what is it that it really does for us outside of we've created a lifestyle and a livelihood? which I appreciate, but then what? Mm-hmm. Like, where is the fulfillment in all of that? And I believe it was saying those words out loud and speaking those into existence that finally shifted something within myself to just listen to myself mm-hmm. and to finally say to myself, gosh, you know what? It's me and it's my perspectives on all of it that needs to change because I appreciate it, but I also feel like I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm obligated. Well, to whom? Mm-hmm. Right. And to what? Yeah, who's this board of directors? Exactly. That's telling me I should be doing this. Exactly. Right. And you know what was interesting too? Being at CBRE is that first year in brokerage, because I was brought in essentially to compete with everybody around mm-hmm. me, which was, I had never really been in an environment like that. Com- you know, Goldman was competitive. But we are all working towards the same goal. Yeah. Right. Right. At and in this day. business, it was like we're all trying to grow our own book because we're all wanting to make commissions, mm-hmm. right? And feed our families. Mm-hmm. So I think it was the pressure of that that felt so different to me. And I wanted to prove myself, but it felt like I don't need to prove myself to these people. Right. I need to prove myself to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's amazing. I appreciate you sharing kind of what I call your origin story. Because I think it's really insightful. So let's shift. Well, and it, it tells how you got yeah. to where you are today. It, it's not by coincidence. And, yeah. I, and I honestly feel, Paige, I don't know if you agree with me, Aaron, I think you probably do, but I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are still stuck in that, I don't know, that loop. Yeah. They're telling that voice inside them, hey, go sit in the corner. Go sit in the corner. Shut up. You know, come out at Christmas and holidays and all that, and we'll, we'll donate the money and all this. And But I know I talk to a lot of people and... and I can tell a lot of people, maybe it's in the last few years, maybe it's just the relationships. I, I, I tend to see that there's more people kind of going like, is this all there is, right? Yeah. 
right? What's filling up my cup truly, right? So let's shift to you starting this new endeavor. Mm-hmm. Where did the idea come from and how'd you get started? So it's so Because you had that aha moment, right? Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? Like, why yes. are we here? Why is there a universe? Why are there stars? Yes. Right? I just pictured exactly. that conversation with your husband at it, like three o'clock in the morning. He's like, Aaron, can you just go back to bed and we'll talk about this tomorrow? Like, <laughs> I, I got so much on my mind. I can't deal with whatever you're breaking through. Yes, yes. Well, it was funny because it was it was a Friday night and I had just poured a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. after. Like the, the yeah. kids were so young at that time. I think they went to bed at like seven, seven fifteen. <laughs> yep. So I pour the glass of wine. And we sit down, we're about to watch something on Netflix. And I was just like, I asked this, these questions and he's kind of like, you feeling okay? Yeah. <laughs> Did you go to a bar he's before like, this? Like, have you had a lot to drink? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, exactly. I just, I haven't even had one sip. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to watch a sports center here. <laughs> he's like, it is Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I was always a, a fairly deep person, but it was, there was just something so different. And, and I now know, of course, through all the work that I did on myself, that it was my authentic voice finally speaking up. And, you know, that's an intriguing thing because a lot of people, yes, they are stuck in that loop. And yes, they look at practical reasons in their lives that they might be stuck or they feel stuck. But for a lot of people, it's that there's this authentic part of them that wants to come through Mm -hmm. and they're suppressing it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that is magic when you finally let that out, right? So precursor to my business, finally allowing my voice and listening to that voice and then letting it speak through me was not only the idea for the business, it is the way that I started to show up. It is the way that my real estate business started to grow. Mm -hmm. It is the way that I started to meet people and have deeper conversations that were so fulfilling in and of themselves. I mean, I was having two, three conversations a day, not about real estate, not about building a business, just about this human stuff that I was so passionate about. Right. And it was like unlocking these parts of me that just felt more true than anything I had ever known. So within, I'd say about two years of doing the work on myself and really going to kind of far-fetched places to find it. I mean, I literally did go to Bali on a retreat that I won. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of life-changing in Mm -hmm. and of itself. Um, I went to different conferences and seminars with scientists turned uh, spiritualists and people that were just teaching things that were more like in the quantum world. So how does the universe work, right? And how does energy work? And I was learning about things that were non-conventional because I had already looked in academia and in corporate for something that was going to be personal growth related and help me develop and improve. And while there were so many books I was reading that were phenomenal, I wanted to just, I wanted to dive deeper. You know, I just wanted to like know what is it I can do to feel different every day? How is it I can navigate this on my own? Yes, I had done therapy in my 20s, but like I was the person that would go in and just dump things and then look at the the therapist and go, do you have anything to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because right. yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm uh, like, why do we'll I need to come back week? to you every week for two years, <laughs> yeah. three years? Like, yeah. you know, when does this cycle end? Yes. And so really, I did start to teach myself all kinds of tools. And I did develop a lot of practices. I mean, I had been meditating since I left Goldman in 2011. Mm. But I developed a lot of practices that were shifting who I was, how I was showing up. Most importantly, how I was relating to me. And in that, I I started to share articles on LinkedIn. So I was writing articles, Mm -hmm. sharing these messages, these stories, inspiring people, motivating and encouraging people by my own journey. And also 
my observations of the professional world. Mm -hmm. And it was really touching people's hearts. And so there were different executives reaching out in Chicago going, Aaron, can you come and talk at a town hall? This is really inspiring stuff. So I'd do that and they'd say, could you do a workshop with our our leadership team? So then I'd do that. And I wasn't charging for any of this because I was still in real estate. Right. You were like, hey, these are leads. Yeah, it was exactly. (laughs) It was was all leads. This is the greatest way. I am building deep relationships (laughs) left and right. So I was doing that for a solid year and a half. And in early 2019, I was like, you know what? I don't do New Year's resolutions, Mm -hmm. but I do. What do I want to focus on? Like, how do I want to feel this year? Mm -hmm. And what do I need to do? Or what goals do I want to set that can help me feel more of that? And that was the year that I said, I'm going to focus on creating this business on the side because I know I am onto something. I know that people want to feel different every day. I know that they want access to themselves in ways they never knew that they could have, and I can help people. And so that's where the business idea came from. Season two of Urban Foundries brought to you by Hope Plumbing. Call Hope Plumbing at 317-641-HOPE and mention Urban Foundry for a free plumbing membership. What's a plumbing membership, you may ask? Well, it has its huge benefits and perks, like 10% off all plumbing services, excluding excavation. But the trip charges waived, free plumbing inspection, and oh, so much more. Being friends with Hope Plumbing has its benefits. Visit hopeplumbing.com today to learn more. And remember, call 317-641-HOPE, H-O-P-E, and mention Urban Foundry for a free plumbing membership for a year. One thing I wanted to quickly drill on that kind of piqued my my ear was you mentioned your initial start was looking at, we'll call it professional development literature, regardless of the source. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I thought was intriguing to me and thinking about my own journey in life, I think, and just talking to others, I think a lot of people start off, they have that aha moment, but then they think they have to reprogram themselves. But that's not at all what you ended up doing, right? It was more of giving yourself the freedom to unlock your own authentic self, not necessarily improve yourself. But a lot of people, and maybe you see this in your practice, they all think, hey, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Because on paper, like you said, I should be incredibly happy, grateful, gratitude, feeling the most fulfilled version of myself, but I'm not. So you you initially approached it very logically, right? Going, well, there's probably something wrong with me. Right. Right. So I got to fix me to be able to be happy. But sometimes it's, it's firing your board of directors that's been telling you all this stuff and filling your head with, this is what I should, this should be your goal. This should be your measuring stick of achievement. Instead saying like, you know, F these measuring sticks. What do I value? And that's, that's the standard I need to measure myself on. But that's really hard for people to do. Most people never turn that corner. You're so right. So talk to me now. People, organizations are coming to you and saying, and maybe in a lot of ways, kind of like you were, mm-hmm. I'm sick. Fix me, Aaron. What do you tell them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so intriguing once again. So here's what's interesting. I, I run a executive cohort. So it's typically people that have been in leadership for 10 plus years. And so I have people that are, you know, 32 up to, mm. you know, early 60s and, This is a uh, virtual cohort, runs for five weeks. I do it twice a year. And I just, it's like my baby. I just love this program. I've been running it for three and a half years because 
the people it attracts have these practical reasons Mm -hmm. that they feel like something in their life isn't working. And they do show up thinking they're broken. Mm -hmm. And I always say in the very first session, you are not here to be fixed. You are not here because you're broken. You're here because you're finally ready to actually live your life. Mm -hmm. You're done just surviving. You know that you can thrive. You just don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. So what I do is give them the tools to know themselves so that they can show up for their families, for themselves, and for their clients, customers, et cetera, colleagues. And then from there, the way that they approach not just life, but the way that they approach who they are and what they're getting out of life is so different and Mm -hmm. so unique. Mm -hmm. When it's organizations, the number one thing I see, Mm -hmm. so, you know, well-being is obviously a buzzword and has been for the last several years. Yeah. So a lot of companies, they want to help their people and give them tools, but they're trying to take on too much responsibility for how do they get their people there. Yeah. Well, it's almost this dichotomy because a lot of people want personal growth. So it's like, what are you offering them? I've always said, look, if you gave people like a few thousand dollars and said, it's kind of like a, like a 529 plan, yeah. you know, like you can spend it on personal development yeah and here are like the 20 things that you can choose from yeah that would be far more successful yeah than trying to fit everyone in a box and say this is what's going to work for you Mm -hmm. because this is the kind of stuff i think people need to kind of find it on their own because we're all in our own unique journeys leadership stuff that i do is very interesting Mm. because a lot of times it's a ceo saying you know what i need to develop my leadership team I don't have the skills to do it. I don't have the time to do it. I don't want to do it. So I need someone to help take the burden off of me to develop these people into what are modern leaders, true leaders. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, a lot of us that were kind of trained by boomers and leadership, and I do put myself in that bucket, although I saw all the the red flags and was like, I'm going the opposite direction, right? (laughs) But a lot of Gen X right now, even older millennials They're on that cusp of, do they continue the old way Mm -hmm. because that's all they've ever known or do they start to shift? And part of that shift is, who are they? What are their values? How are they showing up? Because people are not going to be inspired or encouraged or motivated by someone who is not Mm self-aware, who is emotionally immature, who doesn't take care of themselves. I mean, what like think of the happiest people you know. The happiest people you know are people that actually care about themselves and others. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I'll just be frankly honest, right? Like myself, I fall into that bucket sometimes of that conflict between the training and the business school and all the corporate seminars of all my years in corporate America. And this is how you lead and manage, right? This is how you rank. This is how you have development conversations with employees. This is how you motivate them, right? And it's all been drilled for years, both through personal experience as well as formal, you know, expensive trainings, right? Things like that. And then, you know, you're in a position of leadership and you're trying to sort it out and you go, oh man, how do I show that? Right. And I think the biggest thing as a leader that I always think about is when do you show vulnerability? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, even, even that moment, like you talked about where you kind of have that aha, you had to show yourself vulnerability. Yes. Right? Yes. And that is sometimes even harder than showing someone else 
vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I think too, some of it is it's easy to cop out and kind of go, well, that's not how it was in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Right. So Paige and I are both older millennials. Mm-hmm. We both graduated around the same time. Yeah. And just finding a job, like you said, oh eight oh nine and you're telling like I'm like, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I was in the same boat. I went and worked in corporate finance for three years and I never took accounting class. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to do debits and credits. I was not good at it, <laughs> but I learned a lot and I had to have a job. Right. And there was just no other way. And I had to move around the country because guess what? It paid really well. And so I was like, well, I have friends from college that are working as baristas right now. Yeah. So, Hey, I'm going to take this. Right. And so it's easy to, to sit there as a leader and go, well, that's how I, earn my stripes in the trenches like that's just how it should be right Right. and and at the same time you're going man this doesn't feel right right you know and so it's like how do i show others even if i can show myself vulnerability right i show others vulnerability right as a leader but that comes with the authenticity and being confident in yourself and who you are to not worry about showing that vulnerability, right? Yes, exactly. You know, it's so funny because what you're talking about is a lot of these tactical leadership programs, right? Like I had been through all of those. Yeah. And it used to just be that way. Leadership development was solely tactical, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was like, oh, and then, you know, once or twice a year, you're going to do a Myers-Briggs or a DISC or an Enneagram or Strength Finders and learn a little bit more about yourself. Whoever does anything with that. What do you do with that, right? Okay, so now I know more about my personality. Awesome. So your personality is basically just your ego. It's how you socialize. It's how you show up. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But also, where's your truth? And what are your values? And how do those shine through you? That's the stuff you can't learn in a tactical program. Mm-hmm. And it's also the stuff of the future, right? Yeah. It is what leadership is becoming. And we have the pandemic to thank for that because people do want to live their lives differently now. But I think what's even more so happening is that consciousness as we know it is shifting to more of a a holistic view. People now want to be whole. And they know they've got to look at different parts of themselves to do that. So we used to look only at the physical self, right? It was like, okay, if I wear these clothes, if I do these boot camps, if I go to these places... Then if I have this job, if I have this job, I have this money, everyone's going to think that I've made it. Well, integrity and honesty and self-assuredness and self-empowerment, authenticity. I mean, these are the character traits that people now want. Mm-hmm. You don't arrive at those just like you don't arrive at happiness, just like you don't arrive at fulfillment. You have to cultivate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, perpetual. Yeah, it's I mean, not, it's not a, it's not an elevation or a plateau you reach. Right. And then you're like, oh, cool, I'm here. Google Maps said you are now at your destination. Right. right. That's not it at all. Right. Right. It's and it's not about perfection either. Right. Yeah. It is about how are you showing up each day? Who are you showing up for? And how are you showing up? Mm-hmm. And I always use that term light. Like, how are you shining your light? Mm-hmm. If it's as small as smiling at someone at the coffee shop that's fine Mm -hmm. if it's as big as you rush home to go to your you know child's game Mm -hmm. and give them a big hug before they start like you choose those moments right because you do have choice of course everything within context but you do have choice yeah and also how are you showing up for you because if you put yourself on the back burner and you're resentful about that 
that is no one's problem but yours. Mm-hmm. So take responsibility and take ownership for yourself. One thing I was curious about your perspective on, you know, you mentioned the pandemic. What did you see? Because you started this kind of right before the pandemic. Pandemic starts. What do you what do you think has changed in whether it's organizations or leaders' minds? You know, it may not be directly, right? They may not say, you know what, this pandemic thing really got me thinking, right? They're probably not going to come out and say it point blank like that. But indirectly, you've probably been picking up on some of this. What do you think this has had, you know, kind of, in a, uh, I know we're going to talk generalization and anecdotal, right? There's spectrums here. But what, what, do, what, do, you, what do you think that kind of traumatic worldwide, everyone in the same boat kind of event has had an impact on some of these themes and topics. So for one, it's interesting you talk earlier about vulnerability mm-hmm. because there is a big difference between feeling vulnerable and choosing to be vulnerable. And we have to remember that because a lot of times vulnerability can have a negative connotation and in the past be associated with weakness. And it's actually such a huge strength. But if you don't choose to be vulnerable as a way of empowering yourself and others, then you're going to feel vulnerable. So you're going to feel weak, right? You're going to feel inferior and Mm -hmm. insecure. So that is a mindset shift that I do think the pandemic helped a lot of leaders step into because all of a sudden they're working at home every day. They're trying to maintain relationships with people that they no longer can have, you know, coffee talk and water cooler talk with. And they realize and not all of them, some of them, realize that if they're going to be still relatable, they're going to have to start sharing a little bit more about what's happening in their life right now, right? And how are they navigating the uncertainty and the complexity of what's happening? And so that that was a big shift that I still see today. And in fact, I see it in a lot of people who really did embrace that. Vulnerability is now a key driver in how they're running their teams. So they might have in the beginning of a meeting, they might have 10 minutes where, you know, each one of the 10 people in the room or on the call goes around and just shares like kind of one win or one, maybe one win, one blow, right? Yeah. 30 seconds for each, one win, one blow, and then keep going. And then they can focus on their business objectives, but they learn a little bit about each other mm-hmm. in those meetings, mm-hmm. right? And if it's once a month, fine. Doesn't There's no cadence to that kind of stuff. But those leaders that are showing up in that way are driving those conversations that are more human. Mm-hmm. And people feel like they belong more in an environment where they can share things about themselves, right? I mean, think about, we've all heard this a million times, like people like to talk about themselves, right? So if they're talking about something that might be a little uncomfortable, they're not forced to, but if they have a place to go ahead and share it, that's a different story. So that's been a huge shift. And I, a lot of the work I'm doing is literally getting teams of people in a room and facilitating a three hour conversation Mm -hmm. around really deep stuff. And the amount of connection Mm -hmm. and depth that all of a sudden is there that wasn't there before is incredible. I mean, how teams can grow through just being more of who they are with each other is so impactful. The other thing I see, of course, and I mentioned this earlier, is kind of this focus on well-being. Mm-hmm. But I think the leaders that get it where it's not just about 
Yeah, hey, benefits. this is what HR told me to talk exactly. about like, yeah. at the next town hall. Right. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, we have mental health services. You right. You call, talk to Sharon and HR. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or use your EAP. Like, yeah. by the time you're using that, it's too far, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> totally. As, like, the store manager. I was like, EAP, what do I do? Right? I need someone. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Help. Help. Yeah. Um, there was, I, I took a neuroscience course at MIT during the pandemic at the like the executive management school and there was a study that we had to read and then kind of write a paper on afterwards and it did say in there that two out of ten times you know this is out of all the research they did two out of ten times mental health issues are clinical so that's where there may be a chemical imbalance in the brain a actual disorder and it needs to be treated with psychotherapy or drugs 20 percent of the time it's something that literally your your body's just doing yes and that's that's the core issue. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So I always say of the time that it's not. 80% of the time, right? Right. That is where, that's where I believe we're now focused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a professional world, we're now focused on how do we help the 80% feel more fulfilled and feel more human and be more authentic every day. And it is hilarious to me to see the number of people in real estate that I used to work with that knew me well, they were all like, oh my gosh, Aaron, like, I'm so excited for you to go off and do what you're doing because I resigned in mid-January of 2020. So before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ideal timing. Right. I mean, either (laughs) chaotic or divine, but you know, Um, but I pressed play in early Feb. So it was really before all of that. And what was so funny is the other, I'd say 50% that didn't know me well, only knew me on the periphery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were all like, I know what they were saying. The she's judgment. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, she's going to do what? Like, yeah. Who cares about authenticity? What right. is she talking about? She's, she's you know? an Instagram influencer, right? That's you know, <laughs> who right? she want to be. Yeah. yeah right. And then I see a lot on LinkedIn now. So many of those people sharing things that are vulnerable, mm-hmm. yeah. sharing parts of themselves that I never in a million years thought they would, but they're there, right? Yeah. They're there now because that is how our consciousness is shifting. We are becoming more human, more whole, and we want to be able to show up right. as who we are. We don't want to put a mask on anymore, not a proverbial one. Right. We don't want to be an imposter. We don't want to act like someone we're not. We just want to be us. I love it. That's true. And I also think part of this is, you know, I mean, if you think about most of the developed Western world, I'm not saying everyone, Right. I mean, there are people that live in terrible conditions, just miles from, not even miles from here, Mm -hmm. right? From where we're recording today. So I'm not trying to say like everyone in the United States lives this amazing life. But I think the professional working class in this country, let's be honest, they have food, home, all their Maslow's hierarchy of needs are are taken care of. So if you take out the day-to-day fight just for the basics, it kind of all of a sudden, you know, you just kind of go like, what's all this for? The rat race mentality and this. And I think your point about COVID, and it was funny, I had never contextualized it, but for me, it was a very ultimately vulnerable moment, right? On a personal and professional level for myself. And it's maybe awakened me. It started me on a journey, right? That led me to where we're sitting today. And I, I kind of, in a lot of ways, thank the universe for it. Not in the, oh, that was a great thing, but in the in the silver lining aspect of it, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense to sit there and kind of go, I needed, I've always valued in life. The times I was knocked down a peg. That's when I learn when we lose, I say, good. Mm -hmm. What are we going to learn? What are we going to do better? When you're knocked down and you're humbled. Good. All right. Let's prepare. 
right? Yeah. And I think that goes back to probably for me sports. And mm-hmm. I had a coach that says, "All right, next play." You go, "Okay, what am I going to? All right, I'm going to learn my blocking assignment. I'm going to, you know, right?" Mm-hmm. And it was kind of that humility that I had playing freshman football and getting my my, my brains knocked out basically <laughs> for a season that kind of went, "Okay, all right, I I was the best player in the eighth grade." Come to a huge all boys high school, one of the top football schools in the country, and go, "Oh, I'm competing against some men." Like I was, you know, I was top 13 year old, but the guy I'm going against right now is 18. <laughs> Good. Right. Yeah. And so it led, led, led me on a lot of those journeys. It's so interesting to hear how you contextualize that. Right. Because I think a lot of people went through it, but I think there's still a lot of people that struggle because they're not cognizant and recognizing, hey, there was a trauma and a vulnerability. And that's why I'm feeling maybe the way I'm feeling. Right. Right. And also that everybody feels that way. Yeah. Right. Like everyone has stories. Everyone has traumas and trials and tribulations. And, you know, something as simple as being three years old and getting a toy taken from you by another kid is mm-hmm. traumatic <laughs> because you have to think about the context at that point. But I always say this. And, you know, when, when you're talking about the football stories, it reminds me of this. You either win or you learn a lesson. I don't really believe in failure because I think failure is how you look at it. Right. So if you look at something and say, I failed, well, Maybe you didn't win, but you learned. What did you learn? And really being able to say to yourself, gosh, that could have gone different, but I have no idea why the fork in the road went this direction. And I'll never truly know that. But in hindsight, I'm sure it's going to work out. And I think that that, to me, regardless of any kind of beliefs and higher power and all that kind of stuff, I just believe like, man, like there are so many ways life can go. Mm-hmm. There is so much to be grateful for. Regardless of what we have, there is a lot to be grateful for in being alive on this planet. And if we kind of zoom out and like imagine that you're just on this ball, like catapulting through the universe, Mm -hmm. you realize how trivial a lot of it, most of it is. And and how trivial some of the the 65,000 thoughts a day you have in your head, how trivial some of those are. Right. 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 And that's really where I'm like, man, we've got the we've got the power to control that. We can control our thoughts. We can take our mindset to where we want it to go. We're not a victim. We can shift our mindset. I mean, the way that I grew up, I had a choice eventually. Mm-hmm. And my choice was, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to go build my life. Right. right. <laughs> now, again, grateful for you know the things that I was able to do with yeah. my life because I know it's not easy. But it, it took a lot of courage in order to be able to look at, just look around me and say, I don't, I don't have to be a victim. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not going to be easy for me, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to find a way, you know, having vulnerable conversations when I was in college with a financial aid officer, that was hard Yeah, as a 19 year old. Right. And I think you nailed it on the head. It takes courage and finally for the last shoe to drop or whatever, for you to be like, okay, enough it is enough. I got to make a change. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And enough is enough with the thoughts in my own head. Right. You know, and enough is enough with saying yes to things from my ego. Right. And, you know, and really getting real with myself. Yeah. And I and I, I know what's possible, which is why I love to teach people these things. Because once you step into what is authenticity and once you step into being a more fulfilled human being, you don't go backwards. You don't. Yeah. You look back and go, wow, I'm grateful for that journey. Yeah. Because it's a fundamental part of who I am, but it's not me anymore. After this, I'm happy to say, Andrew, you now know the authentic me. You didn't know the old me. (laughs) 
Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the old me was pre-Colliers. Right. Pre-Colliers. Mm-hmm. That was the old you. Mm-hmm. And see. I bet it's a plus that so he doesn't welcome. know the old you. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. So, so you're welcome. Noted. Duly noted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, we have a few questions, you know, uh, that we ask a lot of our guests, but I think I'm going to ask you one just because I think you'll have a really good answer to it. This is my guess. All right. What is, you know, from a music standpoint, you need to recenter yourself. You go on your iPhone. What are you putting on? And it, you could say it can be it, anything. It can be embarrassing. I don't, you know. No, it's all good. Um, binaural beats. Binaural beats. Have you heard? No. no. Okay. Well, you're all about to be enlightened. Yeah. Um, so binaural beats are sounds that you listen to through headphones. They're really tones and they stimulate different waves in the brain, different frequencies. So the interesting thing about frequencies, and I do a lot of energy work, right? Mm-hmm. So your thoughts have a frequency. Your emotions have right. a frequency. And sort of the culmination of that is what your your vibe is. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a vibration as a human. So it's like, it's your vibe. You know, when you're around someone, you're like, oh, that person always feels so like dark or heavy mm-hmm. to me, you know, it's, or someone feels really uplifting to you. That's, that's what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. So these frequencies that you listen to in your ears, you can listen to them for focus You can listen to them for grounding. You can listen to them for kind of synchronizing your hemispheres, your brain hemispheres, and tapping into creativity. And I love to listen to those because not only are they grounding, but they also serve me in so many ways when I need to do super focused creativity work or super focused uh, work where I'm, you know, working on a consulting agreement or something. I need to be in a certain mindset and just get my thoughts to be more high vibe. Right. Yeah. And so I'll use those as a little hack and they serve me so well. And I teach these actually to a lot of people where I'm like, you have to work with these in the beginning. The brain hemisphere Mm -hmm. uh, synchronization is huge. There's a group called Magnetic Minds on YouTube Mm -hmm. who I love. I've been listening to them for years. But now there's so many apps. There's one called Atmosphere. They're on Insight Timer. Um, So, so many places you can listen to these. And again, like the... The way that they stimulate the brain in these various ways is pretty intriguing. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I knew you'd have a good answer to that. I was right. <laughs> Andrew's going to turn it on on our three-hour totally. journey home. And then we're all going to be like be zoned out. Like. It sounds a little <laughs> out there if you don't. Well, it sounds out there anyways, but you definitely want to have the headphones in because that's what's going to do Not the work in you. your brain. Got it. Yeah. Right. Got it. Mm-hmm. All right, Aaron. So it's been a pleasure having you thank you so much for your time it's just been an amazing we could go f- for a while right mm-hmm. so we yes. might have to do a part two at some point yeah totally and dive do a deep dive into to, to one of these but how can our listeners get in touch with you if they're interested to learn more in your services whether it's for their company or for themselves how do how do they get in contact with sure you? what's the best ways to yeah hit you up dm you whatever totally right? yep my website is erincoop.com so e-r-i-n-c-o-u-p-e.com LinkedIn is always a great place to find me. I'm pretty active there. And then I am on Instagram, authentically EC. Perfect. Perfect. And thank you for having me. This was so fun. Yes. Thanks for coming on. It's been great. And all our listeners, I know it's a little different programming than you're used to, but I think I'm very enlightened, Paige. I mean... This has just been a great, great conversation, and we look forward to having Aaron on again sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. You're welcome. To all our listeners, until next time, we'll talk to you soon. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast.